You've found the place where healthcare's foremost leaders, thinkers, doers, all come to share, to inspire, and to build a better healthcare world, one idea at a time. This is Patient No Longer. Welcome in. I'm Ryan Donahue, thought leader, author, and strategic advisor with NRC Health and host of Patient No Longer, the podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what's making healthcare more human. We've got a fantastic guest today. We've got Aaron Davis with us. Hi, Aaron. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You've got a great background and a great idea that we're going to explore today. Aaron is with UMC Health System. He's a vice president and chief experience officer. Been with UMC for about 15 years. A nice loyalist like myself. And you're also going to be one of our speakers at Hub 23, which is NRC Health's annual event in August. Just around the corner, we will have you live in person in Boston speaking there. One of the things we've connected on, which is a hot button topic in 2023, is access. Or in healthcare, should we say the lack of access? And you and I are both big time consumerist people. We love to understand consumer behavior and the consumer journey. Talk to me from the consumer point of view and the work you're doing at UMC. What are those first steps that consumer makes or first stumbles when they start their healthcare journey? That's a great question. So we like to visualize our patient journey, really try to break it down into steps that would progressively lead someone to choosing our health system. And so we really start at the very beginning, which is the point of awareness. What does our brand as a health system look like to the consumer? We're in a pretty small market. We have one other major competitor in the market. And so for us, we're always kind of really trying to make sure that we are positioned as a brand to be considered and to be that brand that has that awareness, because we have to simply first be an option before we can be chosen. And so really it's that awareness phase. Then we really kind of bring the patient through that consideration phase. Once they know who we are, they know about our brand, how can they consider us? And that's everything from our availability of scheduled appointments or website search optimization. Then of course, once they've chosen us, considered us, then we get into the care, the post-care and the advocacy after the fact of the actual care treatment. A lot of the missteps sometimes can begin really at the beginning when they're considering is who's in the market, how does that apply to me, and then how do I get access into the healthcare facility in which I choose. That point about being chosen, and first we have to be an option before we can be chosen, I think that's really important. I think a lot of health systems look at it as maybe they choose us, maybe they don't, but they show up. And, you know, I think we've talked about if you do just show up, you're already sort of on the wrong foot because you don't feel like you've chosen this path. You don't feel like you've had some agency as a consumer crossing over the patienthood. Tell me from the point of view of what goes wrong, what are some missteps? Like what are things that you either see on the consumer side, mistakes that consumers make, or maybe from our side organizationally in healthcare, what are some things that the system gets wrong. Sure. So I think first, a lot of times patients view the emergency center as the primary point of entry into the health system. So a lot of the times we see emergency centers uh, experience high levels of volume uh, that, that trickles down to boarded patients. And then it has kind of a backlog effect in terms of how that impacts the health system downstream. And so what we've really tried to do a lot in our health system is to be proactive in providing access points, whether that's a 24-7 or 
urgent care clinics throughout the community or doing robust education campaigns on social and digital and targeted marketing to let people know where to go when it's appropriate. And then I think really the other way you manage that is to establish people with PCPs, right? To let them have their care being managed to where they don't get to that aha moment or that moment where they have to make this choice and they really don't have any education to really inform them as to the best approach. One thing we did specifically was we actually built an urgent care clinic on site at the health system. And so as people drive down our main road to get into the health system, they see first a sign for urgent care and we post the digital wait times for the urgent care. So visually they can see that access point. Second, they can see kind of the expected wait time, which is usually significantly less than what an emergency center might be. And then we really tried to come on top of that with saying, not only is it more convenient, but it's more affordable and it's going to help kind of what you need without having to really set through that emergency center where that's really deemed for patients as a level one trauma center like we are that really come in for those high, high care needs. The digital part is so important in that as well, Aaron. And, you know, we were just doing some research around Amazon clinics and what they're posting up and, you know, that they're getting more and more deeper into healthcare and their big play is access. I mean, making it as easy as possible. Healthcare is, you know, one step away. So I love that you're already on top of that strategy. You know, we asked a question in Market Insights across the country, and I know you're in Texas and it's, it's proving true there as well. When we asked people, what was the first step on your care journey? Reflect back, like when did the care journey really start for you? And I didn't know what the number one answer would be. I thought it might be researching online or maybe it's, you know, actually walking in to see the doc, but it was scheduling an appointment having an appointment where my name is on a timeline and I know that I can be seen. And I have to pose this to you. I was just talking to a client yesterday who has some PCPs who are at a nine month wait. So I hope you're not going in to see someone have a baby because that baby's going to be there before you get in. Nine months wait. What do you say, and you could talk from your point of view or just the healthcare point of view as an industry, what do you say about those crazy wait times? that some consumers are experiencing across the country? I think it's forcing other industry leaders to get involved to some degree. I, I think it's unnerving. It is a real issue. And we track that and we, we're trying to be very sensitive to that in our health system. And so we're adding primary care physicians to, to, to really adjust to the expansion of our city. We've added just 12 in the last year to try to create access points. But you're seeing those, as you mentioned, Amazon, the Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, these industry leaders that are really trying to pivot into healthcare and they're addressing what the consumer essentially has shown us that they really want. They want accessibility, they want affordability, they want transparency, and they want convenience. And so you can walk into a Walmart and get your groceries, but at the same time, see a minute clinic, you have a dietitian consultation, you can get maybe discounts on your groceries, and they also have pharmacy, optometry, and and all those things that consumers tend to lean toward. And so as healthcare providers, we have to be very, I like to say we have to be very high tech to be digitally relevant, making sure we have good search engine optimization, search engine marketing. We have to have our providers out there with profiles, with bios, with reviews, because people treat healthcare now like Amazon. What's your star ratings? What's your reviews? And how quickly can I get in? So we have to be very high tech. But at the same time, with the patient experience event, we can't lose our high touch. We have to be very personable 
and compassionate and make sure that when they do walk into the door, whether they have or haven't experienced friction, they're met with caring hands and people that genuinely want to treat them and want to see them get better. And I think that's one way we can help combat it, but also help resolve it. At a recent conference, I had spoke on the main stage about Amazon and, and showed a few slides of their strategy on access. I had a physician come up to me afterwards, briskly walk up to me, Aaron, which is always bad. And he said, we're not Amazon. And to all the points of Amazon doesn't have doctors yet, and they don't provide medical care and save your life and heal you. And I agreed with him on all fronts, but I said, on access, you might have to act like Amazon. You might have to emulate some of the things that they do just to get through that front door. And what I think that is, is it's a critical misunderstanding of what consumers want. You already hit two nails on the head. They want high tech, but they want high touch. I think consumers are still very misunderstood in 2023. What's your take on consumerism? You know, it's one of those things we put on the shelf during COVID. Now we're bringing it back. I know at UMC, you've done some work around this and tried to hook consumerism and what's important to consumers into your strategic plan. This is difficult for organizations to do right now as they're sucking wind financially and have workforce issues. Give me your take on consumerism right now and what people should be focusing on. I think consumerism initially has kind of a hesitancy toward it whenever you're talking to clinicians and providers. As you said, we're not Amazon. But if you think about really the life of a patient or a person, it's kind of the 95-5 rule. Typically, 95% of the market is not seeking healthcare immediately if 5% is actively in your hospital. And so as a health system, we have to see patients as consumers. So the consumers, when they're in the market, walking in the grocery store, looking for options, when they're potentially shopping, they could be potential customers. And then when they're in the hospital, they're patients. And so it's all the same life cycle, same person, but we have to kind of essentially play to that. And so for consumerism, we tried to take a system-wide approach. So we wanted to make sure we addressed the digital side. And that's for us, it was addressing some of the first touch points that people go to. So Google is one of the highest searched, if not the highest searched platform to people that do research and look for access to care. So we had to really make sure that our information was forward-facing there. And then we had to make sure our profiles were accurate. And we had to address the frequency of how quickly they can get in with same day appointments, if not next day appointments, and then really create that seamless roadmap digitally to where they're getting email reminders, text reminders, notifications when it's time for appointments, and then downstream all the way through our mobile app and then kind of through the continuum of care. So we had to address that to make sure that we were relevant there. And then once you get into the hospital, it turns on world-class experience. And so at our health system, from the time you walk in the door, we have something called blue suits, which represent our health system. They wear the blue, which represents our seal. And they're essentially professional greeters. They escort, they help with navigation. They help you get to your appointments. They help open the car door, get you back into the car after your visit. They're that first touch experience. We actually kind of learned that from Cleveland Clinic years ago when they had a very similar program. And so it's everything from the parking lot to the navigation, to the front door, to really holding our staff and inspiring them to really lead with compassion. And so we track leveraging in RC almost every single door of our campus because we want to make sure that for us, our true north is likelihood to recommend. So we ask questions about the digital experience. We ask questions about the encounter and then the post-care follow-up. And we believe that that's a pretty good comprehensive approach. There are small things in there, 
price transparency that's on the website, automation with the different technologies, or just the simplicity of removing friction like automated doors uh, instead of having people in wheelchairs or on crutches having to manually open doors. It's just the small things that communicate convenience, accessibility, and a customer-focused approach to care. It's so focused on their journey, their path, all the steps are going to take. I mean, we started with access, but all the way through to the end where I'm getting a better understanding of the bill, why I'm paying what I'm paying is all crucially important. And, you know, I think it's so interesting what you've done, you know, with blue suits or the 95-5 rule. These are really things we can hold on to and say, okay, does this follow 95-5? I mean, that 5% that people are receiving care is so important to them. It affects that other 95. You get home and you're not healed. All of a sudden, that 95% of your life is irreparably changed. So I think it's so important, some of these concepts and principles, and the fact that you live them and breathe them, it's not just a pillar on the strategic plan that gets revisited by the board every 18 months or what have you. There's a particular concept, another thing that's stuck in my mind that's very catchy, that you're going to be talking about at Hub 23 in depth, but I want to hear a little teaser today, and that's front door friction. So before they can have this beautiful journey that unfolds in front of them, there's issues with friction at the start. Talk to me about what front door friction is and what UMC is doing to combat it. I think that you kind of mentioned the minute you walk in the door, what's that first experience look like? And so for us, you know, we see about, we're a level one trauma center, a regional burn center. And so we see on average about 70 to 80,000 patients a year come through the ER. And so that to us, other than our main door, is the second highest volume entry point within our health system. And historically, when we looked at our likelihood to recommend in the emergency center for those that we treat and release, it was about 66%. So 66% were giving us the highest score possible, which didn't really align with our values and didn't really align with what we wanted to, the public to perceive our health system to be. And so we did a number of things to really try to help to mitigate that. One of those, it really started using data to our advantage. So as we partnered with NRC, we got higher volumes that would add legitimacy and validity to the data that we would share with physicians and with staff and really started sharing with them what patients were saying, not just a small sample, but a pretty large sample of the volume they saw. So transparency with internal consumers. And we really started a medical screen examination upon entry, and that helped people immediately see right when they walked in, a provider to kind of put some of those concerns at ease. And we really helped in that moment match expectations with what their experience was likely going to be. That coupled with having an urgent care on site really helped redirect or re realign some of those patients that may have been more appropriately treated there. The other things we've done was we would employ some patient experience advisors down there to manage the lobby, to round routinely, to answer questions, but then to also visit patients that were boarded in the EC preparing for admission. What we found when we looked at our data was that friction or some type of weight or bad experience in the ER directly impacted likely to recommend or age caps on the inpatient setting. We saw it, we looked at two years worth of data and what we found was that people that came in to the emergency center for their first entry point and then were admitted had a likelihood to recommend on the inpatient satisfaction survey of about 77%. But those that did not come through the emergency center, through outpatient or through kind of a day admission, 
admit direct admits, they had about an 87% likely to recommend. So there's this 10% swing simply from perceived weight, friction, uncertainty, anxiety, all those things that are kind of attributed to the ER. And so the person that we have down there rounds with physicians, rounds with nurses, works to improve operations. And that's small things, updating the furniture, putting music or even scent air devices to make it smell professional and clean and appropriate. We would visit patients that are being boarded and manage up the unit they were going to go to. And then the day later, go visit the patient in the inpatient bed and say, I just wanted to come check on you. I know you're in the ER last night. I was thinking about you. How are you? And it's just that continuity of care that we can help manage and we can help check and try to prevent as much as we can with friction, whether that's getting a pillow or giving them an update or a blanket in the lobby, all the different things to make that experience personable, but also seem as if they're constantly moving toward their end result of some type of answer. The physical piece is so important, Aaron, and I'm glad you bring that up. We've become so obsessed, at least in what we're paying attention to as an industry and as leaders, we're so obsessed in digital and staying up and you can't read or see something now without, you know, artificial intelligence being thrown in. And I just finished two episodes where we talked about technology and AI, but the physical part of it, one of the favorite things I wrote about in the patient no longer book was UCSF in San Francisco, designing their facilities with more greenery, with positive messages, this feeling of vibrancy inside instead of this cold, sterile environment, because people in their cancer center were saying, I feel like I'm dying. And in many cases I am, I don't want to feel like my surroundings are as well. And so there's a power to that, especially when digital helps you get in, but it's a physical experience. We had an exchange on this that I was chuckling about because we had someone talk about how the testing for COVID was so fantastic in their area. They compared it to a Chick-fil-A drive-thru which is really the gold standard, in my opinion, of logistics. You've actually done some work in this area. You've got to tell this story. What was the feature that you did or the work that you did emulating Chick-fil-A? We were definitely kind of one of the first health systems in our city to really provide a drive-through accessibility for COVID medical screening. And it was a quite an interesting picture. We look out the front of the hospital. They're all down the street coming into temporarily set up clinic where they're swabbed in their lines for days. And so, you know, everybody across the country was experiencing something similar. And so we took that and said, okay, heaven forbid there's another pandemic in the future, but even still, we saw how people gravitated toward accessibility and convenience, especially whenever there's some type of illness that is uncertain and they would rather prefer to be isolated or prefer to be private than they would in a public setting. And so we were in the process of building a brand new state-of-the-art two-story clinic on the south side of Lubbock. And so we started talking as an administrative team to say, what could we do different? What could be different? And that brought us to developing the Texas's first drive-through clinic. And so we have still a brick-and-mortar two-story pediatric adult clinic, but on the back side of that, a two-bay car garage clinic. It's a drive-through clinic. And in doing the development and the processing, we actually reached out to our local Chick-fil-A and said, you guys do this the best. How can we emulate some of the best practices? And it was great. I mean, they came on site and they said, no, let's move the science here and do your throughput here. And 
And it was really great to kind of see the engineering side of it or the thought process through the logistics. We run it every single day and people come for flu and strep. And you can imagine how many parents with young kids love the convenience of simply being able to drive through and have their kid be checked out and then continue on to getting the scripts and the pharmaceuticals and going home without even getting out of the car. And so there's a lot of those things that, again, learning from other industry leaders and how you can really augment or innovate healthcare for the patient's benefit. You spoke about cancer a second ago, and we did small things, right? Like historically, our road leading down to the cancer center was titled Cancer Center Drive. And our patients were like, listen, it's the one road I never want to drive down. So we did a focus group and we asked, well, what would you want it to be named? And, and so today it's called Hope Lane. And that to me speaks about what you said. I, I want to be around something that's living, that's hope filled, that's compassionate filled. And so we're building a brand new hospital here in town. And we have right outside of the infusion center, just a beautiful garden that's intended to be just very peaceful, joyful, and hope filled for patients to see and look at as they're getting treatment from us. And so you really hit the nail on the head talking about creating an environment that is healing both for the mind, the body, and the spirit. Well, and I think you've done a great job of taking some of these, you know, you talked about the step-based approach at the beginning, and there's all these little steps that comprise the journey. And that's one thing I, I think as an industry, we don't always understand. We put things into big blocks and those blocks become silos. So we say, this is an access issue. This is a PX issue. This is a price or billing. When really those are all steps along this really long chain. And those little links along that chain, they can be all, they can be seeing something like Hope Drive and just feeling a little tiny bit better, 1% better about driving in and parking and walking in. So I think you've done such a great job of that. The 87% versus 77%, that 10% gap, I got to revisit that for a minute. That's huge. And to me, one thing I think about in the journey is if you're someone who is not at the highest level, your expectations haven't all been met, do you think about or do you work on what the downstream effects of that are? So no matter where I am in the first few steps of access, if I have an issue, I wait too long, someone's rude to me, I go to the wrong place and I'm confused. Do you tend to think that those can be corrected quickly and then it could be a positive trajectory? Or is there a certain feeling that if you start low, you're going to end lower than you would otherwise? I mean, I'm always curious about the downstream effects of that on the consumer journey when you have a bad step, when you have a misstep as a patient. I don't think it's unredeemable. I think there's been a lot of studies around the power of service recovery and how well that can be orchestrated. Uh, there was even some industries, car dealerships that would intentionally leave out like floor mats of a brand new car that they just sold to you just to have a customer come back. They apologize, upgrade their floor mat to have that experience be so much better. There's science behind that. And so I do think the situations are redeemable. I think what we really do at our health system is empower employees to resolve the issue real time. And so I know some organizations, they'll centralize it to a department. It's the complaint and grievance department or patient relations. And we have that department also, but we also teach and empower and equip leaders across the system to say, this is what to say, this is how to say it. And we even position voucher card at every entry point in our health system to where if people come in, 
have a bad experience, one of our staff members can say, I'm sorry about your experience. We want to make it better, but here's just a small apology on us. You can get a drink at the gift shop. You can get a meal at the cafeteria. We apologize. You know, we're sorry for this incident, but we're going to make it better moving forward. And there's escalation protocols with that, but people typically seem to be a lot more relieved after at least just being heard. One of the things that is in our area is grievances and complaints. And we look at it every single quarter. And it always falls in three buckets for us. It's the perception of attitude. It is the lack of communication. And then ultimately those two lead to a perception of a lack of competence, right? And so uh, generally, if you can catch it early, it tends to be a lack of communication or an attitude issue. And those to us are very easily reconcilable. When it gets into the competence, that's when you start really talking about adjusting staffing models or getting different physicians, but we really try to get it taken care of at the front before we ever get to that issue. And that really helps us set expectations with the experience. You got such a great handle on some of these issues and not just the physical or digital elements, but the psychological elements as well. So I want to ask you for other listeners who are thinking about the future and what to do next in access. What does the future hold? I mean, what do you see for healthcare access over the next 18 to 24 months? What are some things that might be different than they are now? It's a great question. I think that there's going to be still a continued push into the telemedicine solutions, the wearable devices, the connectivity of things to allow care to be more mobile, to be more at home. And so there are ways that, again, like I said, to be high tech, you really can't just addressing the Google searches of the world. You have to be able to really entertain those types of devices, those types of wearables where people really tend to want to start doing that at home. So I think that's kind of where healthcare is going to be shifting. I think a lot of it's going to be shifting to an outpatient basis where it's less of a hospital-based care plan and you have more of these pop-up whether that's surgery centers or kind of an outpatient-based micro-hospital where you have a compilation of things, where it's radiology and, and lab and fusion services, maybe a level four ER, just different, smaller, quick, easily accessible outpatient-based treatment centers versus those that are all convoluted into the health system, leaving the hospitals to really take care of more of the high-intensity, very, very comorbidity-driven patient care load. Which if you end up there as a patient, you know, that makes sense. But there's so many times where patients end up in a tower and they're lost in that tower. And we've done a piece about getting away from the tower and moving out toward the consumer, which just frankly makes it an easier journey for them to stair step up as appropriate. And you do a fantastic job of thinking about that, Aaron, and, and helping us think about it. So I've got one more question for you. Ask every guest this question, but you're in an elevator. And you've got someone who comes up beside you. They're on day one, just starting out their journey. What is a piece of advice that you would give to them? I would say two things. I would say the first is make sure you lean into building meaningful relationships, networking, essentially. One of the benefits I had when I first started working for this health system was I was a patient transporter. And so I got to go everywhere, every day and just meet so many different leaders, different departments. And it helped me better understand the complexities, but also the inner workings of the health system. And so I think that through those relationships in my career, I've been able to really lean on those 
historical relationships for my benefit um, and for the benefit of the health system. So I would really lean heavily into building relationships. And the second is really never stop learning. It kind of seems a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's really true. As healthcare changes, AI comes into the picture, different care models come to the picture, different policies. Really, if you stay closed-minded, I think you're going to get passed up. And so we really have to continually learn and read and listen to podcasts and really put yourself in a position of really understanding how the industry is changing because it changes fast. So those would be the two things of advice that I would give someone on day one, other than make sure you know where the bathroom is. That's important. So maybe a third piece of advice is very important. But once you master that, I love the never stop learning. And I think that's something with consumers. You know, we've talked about this consumer mindset before. And as soon as we think we have consumers totally figured out, we know that we're wrong and we know that we've missed something. And so I love that piece on it. And I also love the fact that you were a patient transporter. I think everybody would benefit from any level of the organization going to those places and seeing those things live and witnessing healthcare in person because in leadership, you can get insulated from that. Absolutely. Right. And I think that it really helps you, again, have a different viewpoint. So even today, a lot of our administrators, we will take time to go shadow other areas just to better understand them, their points of view, and their barriers. That just helps create perspectives and and it helps really build relationships in a meaningful way. That's powerful, Aaron. And I thank you for taking time with us today, Patient No Longer podcast. I want to wish you well, and we'll continue this conversation live and in person in Boston in August for Hub 23, where you'll really be digging in on front door friction. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And that's the show. Thank you for joining us today as we exchange ideas, share struggles, and celebrate triumphs. Come back next month as we continue our journey through the magical and maddening world of healthcare. Never miss a show. Subscribe at nrchealth.com slash patient no longer or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Ryan Donahue, and you've been listening to Patient No Longer, a presentation of NRC Health, the founders and lead architects of human understanding in healthcare. Until next time.